Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. Super thanks for that you could, uh, you could join us today. Oh, my pleasure. And, and I think, you know, uh, to kind of kick off the conversation with you a bit, um, uh, anyone who looked at your, uh, your, your LinkedIn or your background, it, it, it's pretty impressive. Um, and, and, but, but how do you get started? How, do you get, how did you get into the game industry in the first place? And, and then, you know, what, what brought you to what you're doing today? Yeah, um, uh, I, I got in, I guess, at the, at the time that I wanted to, right? So I, I spent 13 years, I think it was roughly, like as a software engineer and program manager before I decided to go into games. And this was in Orlando, Florida in the US. And, um, you know, the only real game development uh, studio there is Tiburon, uh, which is part of EA, and they make some of the biggest games on the planet, of course. Uh, and for me, it was, it was back in 2010, it was just really the right time. I, I'm an avid gamer, always wanted to get in games. Um, an opportunity came up to be part of uh, like a new team on, on Madden NFL, um, you know, part of a uh, new leadership team there. Um, so, you know, it, it was just a great opportunity. And so I decided to, to make the leap in there at that time. Um, um, but then, wait, wait, oh, when is this? What, 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 what time is this? This was back in 2010. So 10 years 10, ago. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and, um, and it was great. Like Madden was one of my favorite games. I mean, I, I bought that game every year for 15 straight years before I joined the team. So I was very familiar <laughs> with it from a consumer standpoint. And, uh, and just learning the ropes on how to, you know, how to drive production on a, on a game team, especially one of that size with that complexity and that short of a development timeline releasing every year. Uh, there were a lot of challenges in there um, that, you know, helped me both get up to speed quick, learn a lot, while at the same time uh, bringing myself in, uh, and my experiences in, to contribute because a lot of it actually translated very well from outside of games. Um, but yeah, then, uh, you know, from there, I, I spent, you know, quite a few years with EA, um, working at a VA Montreal on mobile titles. Uh, then I went to EA LA to work on a new mobile IP. Um, uh, I went, uh, after some time at EA, then I went north to Seattle, uh, where I joined Xbox for uh, a bit, um, uh, learning, you know, how to work on, on console experiences, uh, on console and off console. Um, and then went back into AAA games, uh, working at Bungie, uh, where I was a project lead there, um, working on uh, our game engine R&D, Destiny 2, um, all of like our, our live service infrastructure and stuff. So it was, it was, a, it was a great experience there. And, uh, and, and then I, I just actually wrapped up um, uh, my time at Turn 10 Studios, which I went to after, after Bungie, where I was the executive producer for... Forza Horizon, um, and uh, and I, I moved back over into Xbox, um, uh, joining Gaming for Everyone, uh, driving 
product-led, product-impacting inclusivity uh, across all of gaming at Xbox. All right, awesome. And, um, uh, you know, the... um, you know these times that happen now with you know with 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 COVID, um, you know remote work. Um, can you can you just share you know the whole kind of picture of how 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 that um, you know ha- happened with you? I mean, how how prepared were you? How much did you change? I mean, you know what, what what's the whole story from your point of view with this? Yeah, so um, you know we had uh, I think it was back in late February, early March we we you know thought that maybe we might end up having to work remote and um and yeah we were uh definitely not prepared i mean my team um you know um the forza horizon team at turn 10 studios um we work with so many partners i mean our primary partner is playground games in the uk uh who do you know a lot of the day-to-day uh development um on, on forza horizon but we we work with uh, other external partners as well who contribute to uh forza horizon uh both the live program or you know new experiences um that will you know are yet to be shipped and um and for us uh you know being a team that works with so many different studios like across the world working remote for us would have been fine but you know with our partners we have to take that into consideration as well Mm-hmm. Um, but when we actually, you know, happened to go remote, uh, it was about mid-March, um, we actually were not prepared. We thought we were going to have an easy transition as a team, but we, we did not have an easy transition. Um, you think you can be prepared, but you're not. I mean, for us, the, you know, we all sat together, of course, like most teams, um, but that day-to-day constant interaction, face-to-face, being in, in meetings together, um, yeah, you lose that when you go remote and then you have to figure out a different way to communicate. And yeah, virtual calls is, is one thing, but like you're just not used to, to going forth and, and having those ad hoc conversations that way. So we had to learn uh, how to change the way we work, um, how to change the way our partners work and, uh, as well, and to make sure that we were supporting our partners while also trying to figure out uh, what we needed to do. So there was like a few things that... Um, that we ended up uh, instituting, um, uh, you know, with varying success, of course, um, but we're always trying new things. Uh, I think as a company, we had a a thing called the COVID clock, um, where we, uh, you know, we wanted to schedule meetings that ended earlier than than they would typically end uh, to make sure that people had the time to like transition to another meeting, whether that was get up from their home desk and either go to the restroom or get a snack or whatever have you, but just have like a five to 10 minute break in between. Um, so we, we had to be very cognizant of making sure we were ending our meetings early. Um, and then the other thing too was uh, we changed the way that we start our meeting. So usually, you know, when you're in person and you, you kick off a meeting, it's just immediately right to business. You know, let's get to the agenda. What's the, what, what are the topics? What are we getting through? And the one thing that we ended up doing was um, starting a meeting by just having like a casual conversation. It didn't matter who was in the meeting or what it was supposed to be about uh, or how well you knew the person. We would just have a casual conversation, you know, how's family life, how are the kids, how are you doing, all that kind of stuff. And uh, just to kind of like break the ice and get people into, you know, a a good state before we actually got into our, our agendas. 
um, which meant that we had to be really good about time management in our meetings, which is something that most companies, most people don't really do a good job of. And we had to get really good at that really fast. Um, and then finally, like, you know, a lot of the rituals that we had um, in person before, like, you know, going out to lunch um, uh, and again, the hallway conversations, et cetera, we, we brought those in. It took a, a little bit of time, but we brought those in in a virtual environment to make sure that we were still having those kinds of things, even though it was virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and even like the ad hoc conversations you would have, um, giving people the, the liberty to, you know, think it's okay to actually reach out and just have a general casual conversation with somebody like you would in, in front of the coffee machine or, or whatever. So, um, and then the final thing that we did as a team that was big for us uh, was we also changed the way that we organized our work. Um, for this, actually, we used Favro. Uh, and we were lucky to actually get Favro uh, on, 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 on site, like right when COVID was starting is when we actually started uh, to use it in earnest. And it allowed us um, to not only organize much better as a team uh, to make sure that a lot of the stuff that we would talk about in person, how you, how's this going? How's this progressing? It's just there now. And you don't have to waste time asking those conversations, but also um, for our partners, because you know, we have our development partners that we worked with, but then we also have tons of other partners within turn 10 or within Xbox that we partner with um, that we, that we, you know, we have requirements for Um, teams like licensing partnerships, business management, franchise management, marketing, et cetera. And so, um, so we brought all of those teams along as well uh, mm-hmm. in our like Favreau journey, if you will, um, so that, you know, they could also uh, provide the levels of transparency we needed and that, you know, all cross dependencies were, were very transparent to everyone and we could track progress on those things. Uh, it's very interesting, you know, this example, you know, you're, you're giving because one of the things we very often talk about ourselves that we are, are trying to to design for is, is you know breaking silos in in big organizations and uh, you know what you're describing you know is, is is exactly that and and obviously you know with covid you know those things are even harder um, but you know i i have this thought i want to try with you uh, sometimes you, you need like an infliction point you know something needs to happen some, something bad needs to happen for to shake up things you know um, do you think that there are that, that this all you know was a bit of that kind of inflection point that you know where you know now that kind of you know made you make some steps that you know including Favreau that 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 um, you know put you in a better place so um, you know I'm a very optimistic person by nature so I would like to think that there are positive things coming out of this crisis. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it it was kind of an interesting journey um, because, like I said, uh, we were a very, you know, close-knit team. We were used to working together, both in proximity and being very close as well from an individual standpoint. There is most of the team had been together for a long time, almost since the beginning of Forza Horizon, like, you know, eight to 10 years ago. And, uh, and, And so when we first started to work remotely, uh, everyone almost on a daily basis, you could talk to anyone and they would be like, well, man, I can't wait to get back into the office. I miss seeing you guys. Uh, I miss, you know, the hallway conversations, you know, all that stuff. 
and uh, and they were not uh, as productive um, as uh, as they could be, and they and and as a result, they were also like working longer hours uh, as well. And um, you know, fast forward after making a lot of changes, um, fast forward, you know, a few months uh, later, and uh, the tone changed a lot. Um, once we figured out how to work remote, and that you know. As challenging as it is, of course, making AAA games is, is very difficult, but it is possible to do it remote and to do it successfully um, despite the challenges. Um, yeah, the tone changed a lot. Um, I think, uh, you know, now people, uh, several people that, that you know, I, I was talking to on a daily basis, um, they don't ever want to go back into an office, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and, and for us, we don't have to go back for quite some time, um, uh, still we don't know when, but it's still gonna still seems way off. But uh, but even when the doors open back up, people are like, well, you know what? We can actually do this remotely. Um, you know, what are we gonna do about that? <laughs> well, when it's time to go back in the office, can I stay working remote? I want to stay working remote. Is there gonna be flexibility where I can work half the time remote, etc.? So, I think it's a big shift uh, and and uh, an inflection point for not just obviously the games industry, but probably all industries. I, I know I have several friends of mine that work for companies like Twitter and Oracle. They're, they're never going back. Uh, and as a result too, they're also moving from the expensive cities that they <laughs> live in, you know, to, uh, to more affordable cities. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we ourselves are, are remote first and, and we will not, we will still have offices, but they will serve as kind of hubs where, you know, we want to schedule kind of like a get together, you know, we do that and, and we meet up and, uh, you know, there might be some, some people that, that prefer to, or it's more practical to work out of the office, but, but making, let's say the, 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 the norm uh, remote, um, I think is a good thing because then, um, if that's your starting point and that's the norm, it makes everything easier because then whoever is remote doesn't feel like it's a, you know, half, uh, you know, version of what you really wanted to do. You know, this this is the the real thing, and then when you decide you're going to get together, you will share it more because it might have a bigger social dimension, and and you you'd use that for. Uh, for for those situations, it's interesting. Um, as many of the things that you you talked about now are touching upon uh, company culture and and you know how to do that now remote and so forth. Um, but when we talk about uh, company culture, um, there's, there's also other uh, things going on in 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 society. Uh, we had a very good uh, webinar earlier this summer with uh, Lena at uh, Bonfire. We had a great talk about uh, inclusion uh, when it comes to um, diversity. And you're also talking of, you know, doing a lot of work uh, around inclusion. Uh, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, um, uh, well, first, uh, you know, I, back in on July 1st, uh, I became co-lead for Xbox Latinx, um, uh, which is part of the gaming, one of the Gaming for Everyone uh, communities um, at Xbox. Um, and, uh, and then recently, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I shifted away out, outside of game production, uh, which I love game production, but shifted away from the studios to join uh, the Gaming for Everyone team uh, as a principal program manager um, for uh, product-led inclusivity. So specifically product-led, because um, yeah, from a from a cultural standpoint, 
there's a lot of things various companies uh, do. Microsoft and Xbox are no different uh, to try to uh, bring in a more diverse uh, workforce and then doing a lot of the work to make them feel included, right? To build that community uh, within uh, the company. And Microsoft does an amazing job of that. The, um, the, the one, I think, big gap um, that is in games, it's, it's basically in any industry, but in games especially, you can see it, and it is talked about a lot, is inclusivity uh, in your product, in the game itself. So that boils down to things like representation or accessibility, et cetera. Um, and that's my job. So uh, I, I came to this team to to work with all the, the leaders uh, at, 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 inside of Xbox um, to you know, help them with their inclusive uh, growth strategies. Um, and then also uh, you know, work on uh, my own project as well, help, hopefully to you know, redefine game, the game industry, maybe. We'll see if I get lucky uh, to, to help drive uh, inclusivity, inclusivity in the games. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's all, in a nutshell, the, the work that I've been doing more recently. Um, and, uh, and then there's a lot to come. A, a lot of it, of course, is Latinx focused since, uh, again, I'm co-lead of that, but we have Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage Month coming from mid-September to mid-October. Um, my, uh, my team, my group is, is uh, working very closely with uh, several other groups external to Xbox to celebrate that month uh, and bring awareness uh, to it. Um, but yeah, uh, and then outside of that, um, you know, my journey over the years, especially as being, uh, uh, you know, Hispanic male in games, uh, especially in senior and leadership levels, I'm usually like the only one. <laughs> and so I, I, I take that, um, that platform, if you will, uh, as an opportunity within, you know, the studios and companies that I work in uh, to, to help drive and promote more diversity uh, and inclusivity, uh, you know, within those studios, really like at a, at a leadership level though, um, because most companies, they try to do a good job and some of them do of driving, um, you know, inclusive uh, uh, diversity, you know, at the new higher level from like college students, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, but not as good at the leadership levels. That's, that's the area that I'm, I'm definitely most passionate about. Uh, awesome. And, um, you know, to, to kind of go back to the conversation we had there in the previous webinar with Lino, you know, we also talked about the fact that if you look at the demographics today of, you know, who's playing, playing our games, you know, it's very, very diverse. Um, and that should be reflected. It's, yeah, it's, definitely. It's, 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 it's right for so many reasons. It's, it's right for moral reasons. It's right for business reasons. It's, it's just, you know, right. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the biggest game companies, of course, are are very like U.S. and Western Europe focused, right? And uh, and so we make we tend to make games that reflect what our realities, the areas that we live in. And sometimes when we try to represent other regions of of the world, we we don't always do a very good job. And that's where the inclusivity part <laughs> needs a lot of work. We don't always do a very good job, and. Um, and, it, you know, there's lots of opportunity for us to continue to grow and get better in that area because gaming is not like a, you know, just Western Europe, U.S., Canada, and like, you know, East Asia thing. It's, it's a global thing. Um, there's, you know, over 2 billion gamers on the planet. And, um, 
you know, we, we need to be able to reach all of them uh, and make them all feel included. You know, speaking about that, I have to ask you something. I, I read this report uh, recently that today um, in the game industry is, is bigger than the music and uh, uh, film industry combined. Um, did you expect that 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm? I expected that even way before I got into games, you know, uh -huh. back in the early 2000s. Um, just the trajectory, right? Like, I think it was, um, I mean, this was back in 97, I want to say, maybe it was 96, when Final Fantasy VII first came out on the PlayStation 1. Just, you know, when you play through that game, and at the time, I, looking back, it obviously looks very dated, but at the time, <laughs> it was just mind-blowing, uh, just the cinematic uh, quality of it, the storytelling. Um, and yeah, when I saw that at that point in time, I was like, wow, at some point, this is going to be what most people do. They're not going to spend money going to a theater and watching a movie. They're going to want to play the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, we're, we're definitely at that point, you know. Mm -hmm. I had this interesting thing the other, the other week, you know, I was, I was just going to, you know, eat something in front of the TV. I was just turning on my Apple TV and I'm like, okay, going to see something on Netflix. I was like, nah, I'm going to see this whole launch event thing for the new Call of Duty game. I was like, I would not have picked that some years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm actually more interested in that. <laughs> so yeah, you know, uh, it, it really have changed, you know, uh, and it's really interesting when I speak with, uh, uh, you know, friends that are my age or older and are not entirely uh, in with this. And they, they, they're like, they don't, not all of them are getting it. And then I speak with, you know, some of my friends are, let's say, a little bit younger than me. So... It's still, or you know, reasonably old. I would like to point out, but but uh, but they're like, yeah, of course. I think I think that there's a there's a great uh, documentary on uh, Netflix. I think it's called Top Score. Um, yep. That, that I think does a really good job at kind of giving you know the whole background, you know, how how we got here. I think I think uh, you know when you're in the industry, most of these documentaries feel a little bit too shallow. But but I think that one was really good actually. That one was very well done. Yeah. Mm. And I'm with you too. I, I catch myself just finding more and more time spending consuming, you know, video game streams, news, um, you know, or just watching people um, stream things. Actually, even whether they're video games or not. Like one of my favorite categories in Twitch is the just chatting category. Um, and I like to just pop in there from time to time um, almost every day now and just see what's, what's up, what's on there, especially ones that are from other countries, other languages. I don't know what's going on, but everyone seems to be having a good time. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of times they're also playing games. They're just not focused on showing the game on screen. Um, and yeah, I, I feel, you know, I, I don't know. It's just more connected doing that than like, you know, just sitting down and watching a two hour movie, which I, I still do that a lot, but not as much anymore. Uh, awesome. And I have to take this opportunity to, to ask you since, you know, we ourselves are in the, in the tools part of the industry and, you know, some that are watching might also uh, be in that industry or, you know, doing a start, which is, in, you know, tools or, or, or middleware. Um, and and over, since, you know, your background is in production, I mean, obviously you have been someone who spent a lot of time, you know, looking at tools. Um, what is, um, what was your view on what, what makes um, a, a good, you know, tool vendor or middleware vendor, you know, for, for you know, for companies like us and, 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 and others that are in that part of the industry, what do you think is important to be, to be good? 
Yeah. Um, well, first I'll say I'm going to answer it from a you know, game production standpoint um, more than anything, because what I noticed when I got into games uh, was the tools that I was used to using um, that I loved, uh, they were not as applicable <laughs> when I got into games. They just, they, you know, they're, they're, they're basically a tool that's kind of like in a box and that's it. Um, you just use it, an agile tool, let's say, and, and it didn't really translate well into the complexity uh, within game production um, with all the disciplines and different pipelines and workflows that we end up using. And so, um, you know, for, for me, um, having a tool that is built from the ground up, understanding the realities behind game production is the most important thing, first and foremost, for me. Um, and there are very, very few companies that do this. Uh, and then from there, uh, the, the next most important thing is being able to work with the, the tool vendor, tool developer, to continue to iterate on it um, and help, you know, help them grow, in essence, providing features that you need, uh, functionality that you need in order to be successful that I'm sure other studios would also need as well. Um, but being able to influence, in essence, what's on that backlog, what's on that roadmap uh, is definitely extremely important, I think, because you know, get the games industry is always evolving. How we do things is always evolving. Um, and we need somebody to grow along with us at the pace that we grow. Awesome, thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favor.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.